Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Broklowski. Hey, Chris. Hey, Serge. Uh, we're on vacation, aren't we? So let's do an episode about video games. Yeah, video games and free software video games, too. You may not have even known that free software video games existed because it's not something we talk about as much in the free software community. It's true. So games get short shrift. They take a lot of work. They require programming, uh, usually very difficult programming. They require art, music, and a lot of skills to put together. And we have a surprising number of free software games. And so we thought we would talk about some of our favorites. Yeah. So let's, why don't you start? Oh, okay. So I decided why not start with the ultimate classic in the free software world, which is NetHack, right? So NetHack is a, what's called a roguelike, and it may be the roguelike that most people are familiar with. Um, it, which, so Rogue was an old, uh, um, it was an old kind of Dungeons and Dragons style adventure game that we would play in, uh, and it used, it, in, unlike text adventures where you'd say get lamp, it decided that each character on the screen would be, would represent something in the world. So you were an at, a rat might be an R, you know, a B might be the, the letter B, a dragon might be a capital D, and, you know, like a wand might be a forward slash and things like that, you know. Um, so, and you're walking around this little dungeon and killing monsters, collecting experience points, kind of all the Dungeons and Dragons Z type tropes. Um, and uh, uh, Rogue was, you know, pretty popular back in the day, and NetHack comes out and uh, um, actually was one of the, the reason it's called NetHack which when I first heard about NetHack, I was sure it was like something super cyberpunky in theme because it sounds that way. But yeah, it sounds it sounds super futuristic. Right, but the term NetHack actually came because Hack was Hack was the first version, uh, which was and it's a reference to kind of hack and slash, which is kind of the style of game that it is, where you know you've got your sword and you're hacking and slashing your way through a bunch of monsters, uh, and uh, it, also a pun because you know hack you know. Hacking is what hackers do uh, to program games so uh, or to program anything. Uh, and NetHack, the reason why Net got thrown in there was because um, this was one of the first pieces of free software that were developed over the Internet. Um, there was a you know group of people who were sending in patches uh, on mailing lists and Usenet and stuff. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's NetHack's origins. Um, so uh, you've played NetHack before, right, Serge? I, I have played NetHack. It's uh, it's fun. It's basically for people who aren't familiar with this genre. It's basically top-down uh, dungeon slash. So basically, a fantasy game, but from a top-down perspective that without a ton of story, it's mostly action-oriented. And I've, we're going to link in the show notes to one of my favorite uh, articles. Uh, funny articles online that says no new ATI graphics card uh, pushes limits of ASCII gaming. Oh man, um, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna, we're going to link to that in the in the show notes. Um, NetHack also there there are versions you can play on the phone, and I remember um, going to work and and playing NetHack uh, on my train commute. 
so it's a fun game. It's definitely it's definitely uh, worthy of our of our list. Yeah. It's, so it's also there are tile versions that you can get, but really you kind of have to get. And even though you can also play with a mouse in some of those tile versions, you kind of have to get invested in the keyboard controls, which the main keys. Uh, sorry, Emacs users, which include me. Uh, the kind of canonical way to move around in, in roguelikes these days because of NetHack uh, is to use Vi-style navigation keys. Um, and so you're moving around the dungeon using those in general. And uh, um, and and there's some there's some key kind of interesting aspects to roguelikes like NetHack. Uh, one of them is permadeath. So when your character dies, it just dies. And you have to start all over again at the back, which you might be like, gosh, I don't want to do all that stuff again. But the cool thing about NetHack is that every adventure is different, right? And that's a that's a common trope in in roguelikes is that um, they're procedural. There's uh, um, there's you it, the game kind of makes up some a whole new world every time, a whole yeah. new world every time based off of kind of some patterns it has of cool things to explore. Uh, and I just want to there's so one of the some I read somebody describe NetHack as uh, a game where the game philosophy is: if you think you can do it, you can probably do it. Uh, which is, in general, not good advice to give game developers because uh, um, it's kind of so broad. But it is kind of true in NetHack. So, for example, um, you can there are these monsters called cockatrice, which are these like little chickeny monsters uh, where if they stare at you, you turn to stone, and you can kill them. And if you Try picking it up, you'll turn to stone. Now, if you wear gloves and you try picking it up, now you've got a weapon that you can hit monsters with and they turn to stone. Um, and you're like, haha, I've got this great weapon. But if you wear, if you are holding too many things in NetHack, um, you get overly burdened. And then when you try to go down the stairs, you trip and fall down the stairs. So if you're wielding, even if you're wearing gloves and you're wielding a cockatrice and you're holding too many things and you go down the stairs, you might trip and fall and there's a a chance that the cockatrice will touch your body as you're falling midair and you'll turn to stone. And And I think that's one of the, I mean, there are great games of, of the interactive fiction and and we've talked about interactive fiction on on the IRC channel and may cover it in a future episode. But um, the, the cool part about a program like NetHack being free software is that if somebody comes up with one of these ideas that they can integrate into, into the game and even, you know, a new version although those aren't as uh, common anymore, can come up with new monsters or new challenges. And that's really cool. Right. So that happens in a number of these other roguelikes, which I'll talk about, um, are a little bit more actively developed than NetHack, which I think there is a new version coming out, but it's kind of laid dormant for some time. And uh, um, But I want to give an example of one of the... Adv- so if you want to play NetHack seriously, it's really hard to beat it without spoilers. Because, like, there's so many in-jokes in the game. Like, for example, if you take a long sword and then you dip it in... And if you're, if, you're, uh, um, if you're good, lawful good, and you dip a... Or it may just be good. And you dip a, uh, um, a sword into a fountain uh, a bunch of times, then the Lady of the Lake may reach up, bless it, and turn it into Excalibur. How on earth would you figure that out? I have no idea. Uh, like you without reading spoilers, uh, you can read the source code, um, and there is this oracle that sometimes gives you information, and there are fortune cookies that sometimes lie to you. Um, but like it's it's 
NetHack is kind of a game of exploration, and beating it requires an insane amount of dedication. But some of my most happy memories in playing NetHack are when I didn't know what I was doing at all in the game, and I just went wild with experimenting. So I'm going to tell one exa- one story, and then and then I'm happy to move on. Uh, but one story that was very memorable for me uh, um, early on was I was, uh, um, you know, I was like, this NetHack thing seems pretty cool. And I'm walking around, I'm like, ooh, there's a ring. I'm just going to put it on my finger. Now, experienced NetHack players know that just putting a ring on your finger, if you haven't identified it, you have no idea what that thing's going to do. There's a ring of polymorph, and I turned into a, um, I turned into like uh, a basilisk, which is this like lizard creature. Um, And I was like, this is so cool. And I found out if I did pound sit, it, I could sit and lay an egg. And I was like, whoa, I'm laying eggs. And I'm laying eggs all over the place. And then I turn back into a human. And then I've got all these. And I start picking some of them up and eating them. And I didn't know that if you eat your own babies in that hack, the gods will get angry at you. Um, and so my luck was decreasing dramatically as I'm eating my children. But some of them I leave in my bag and they start hatching and crawling down my body and saying, mama. And I'm like, oh, I've got all these little like baby basilisk buddies. This is awesome. And so I'm running around. But now they're killing all the monsters for me, which I thought was cool. But they're eating the corpses before I can do it. And suddenly my character is starving. And um, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm starving. I really got to kill one of these things. Like get out of the way babies and they're like getting in there and eating all the corpses and i'm like no i've got to eat these i'm starving and then i like walk over and i'm and suddenly i turn into a monkey and i'm starving and fainting and i'm like i've got to drop everything i've got so i'm just dropping everything because my body was being crushed by everything i was holding because i was this tiny monkey so i'm dropping things like mad and i'm passing out and then and my babies are just killing things and eating things in the dungeon and the meanwhile while i'm passed out a little newt comes up and nibbles me to death and then i died <laughs> wow. and i was like this game is awesome uh <laughs> so that that was a great experience and i uh um although i do have a problem with roguelikes in that i can get too into them and when i was at my first professional job working in a data center um one day i showed up for work and i was like oh i'm early it's before work starts nobody else is here i'm just gonna play a little bit of net hack so i just played a little bit of net hack and then other people showed up and i'm like okay uh it's no longer before work schedule. I'll just open up some other things on my computer and start doing work. And I started going and fixing machines in the data center. And then my boss came up behind me and said, hey, Chris, it's time for our one-on-one, which I had not remembered was happening. And I'm like, oh, no problem. And I close a bunch of programs on my computer. And what's left open is a NetHack screen. Now, with many bosses, if they saw this screen, all they would see is a bunch of gibberishy looking characters and would not understand it. But my boss had been around in the computing world and said, why are you playing Rogue? And I was kind of in trouble. Uh, even though I wasn't playing, I just left it open. But anyway, so that's that's uh, that's my NetHack story. <laughs> that's that's NetHack. Well, that's great. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, I don't know where to start, but I, I'm just going to take a stab here at one of my favorite... Uh, games, which is uh, Tux Racer, and then, then the current version is Extreme Tux Racer. So on the opposite side of graphics, uh, Tux Racer was, I think, the most uh, was one of the first beautiful 
games um, available as free software. Beautiful for um, its so time. Beautiful for its time, and I would say it's still very pretty. Um, it's a it's a racing game. You are Tux the Penguin, and you are racing down a slalom uh, on your belly, catching fish, jumping, and it's it's really simple. It's it's exciting and relaxing at the same time. It's easy to get into this nice groove with it. It's fun and easy and beautiful, and again, visually beautiful. And I just just really like it. I um, I don't know how much else there is to say about it, other other than it's a beautiful game in it, um, and um, I highly recommend it. It's also kind of different. Like I I haven't actually. I can't think of many games that are quite like it, I guess, except for maybe like the little racing parts in Mario 64 where you were like going down uh, some sort of mountain or something like that. But like the the feeling of the game is kind of like snowboarding or something like that. Um, and and yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And I, it's definitely kind of like NetHack, one of those free software classics. Because, um, you know, for me, for many of us, that was the moment when you finally got OpenGL working. You were like, I'm going to go test to see if if uh, some people would want GLX gears, but those people were boring. The cool people went and ran Tux Racer. Yeah, so it's a it's a 3D game, and it does require some 3D graphics to run. Um, yep, yeah, so that's Tux Racer. Okay, Back cool. To you. So I decided that I would continue with my bad habit, uh, my my series of addictions, by talking about uh, another roguelike, one called Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup. Uh, I won't just talk about roguelikes today, but this is really one of my one of my favorite games of all time. Um, this game, unlike NetHack, um, it doesn't have the so it, it does some things pretty differently from NetHack. And in fact, there's a wonderful document that you can find in the manual that talks about Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup's design philosophy. Uh, and the design philosophy is, you know, it. You should be able to figure out how to play the game by repeated experiences of playing the game, not just through spoilers. You should, um, randomness is important so that, you know, it's not just solved from the outset, but your decisions should matter. And, and it's much, even much more so than NetHack, a hack and slash type game, kind of tactically so. So you're just kind of running through and, you know, beating up monsters and stuff like that. But there are a lot of options about how to play this game. So you've it's got a lot of interesting, you know, um, kind of creaturey races. Like, so you can be a human, but you can also be a minotaur or you can be a centaur. And those both play very differently. Uh, and Or you can be like an octopode. And an octopode can't wear any armor. It's like an octopus type character, except for a hat. It can wear floppy hats but it can wear eight rings um and so those are much harder to play and there are many different ways to play this game you know whether or not you want to play a sneaky game or you want to play a straight up fighter or you want to play a spellcaster. um and one of the coolest things about the games is not only are there these all these different character classes and all these different character races but there's also these different religions and you can only one worship one god at a time or one religion at a time but each one of the religions pretty dramatically changes the game well some of them more so than others so you can worship this uh um you can worship uh like sif muna who helps you learn opens up many more spells to you than you did previously and you can only memorize so many spells in the game normally and 
uh, she will allow you to uh, forget spells and study new ones very easily, uh, and also allows you to get your magic back. Um, and then there's another god that I love, uh, um, or another religion, I should say, called the, the Wujian Council. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, which is this uh, council of monks that battled their way to the heavens. So they're not, they weren't gods originally, they just battled their way to the heavens, and they love combat, and you get tactical combat movement abilities. So now, if you move directly towards a character and you're moving faster than them, you might get a free attack. Uh, and it, you can also wall jump over characters and attack them as a group. And you can also attack via movement. And it just changes the game. And so this game, I'd say, is really wonderful and and actually plays really wonderfully either in the tiles mode or the console mode. You know, I actually think that this game... and I. Some people are purists and will only play in the console mode on roguelikes, but I actually really like this game's tiles. They look really nice, um, and uh, they're really fun to play with. Uh, so I would highly recommend, if you're interested in getting to, into roguelikes, Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup and NetHack are maybe not the first ones that I get into. Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup more so than NetHack, but they, but they are really fun they really encourage exploration uh and dungeon crawl stone soup is one i've returned to time and time again and only recently started to be able to beat all right so we got those are two awesome roguelikes um so the next one on my list is a real-time strategy game and it's a real-time strategy game with a twist it's called globulation 2 it's also an older game. I mean, I think all of these, minus, uh, except for one, are, are somewhat older. But Globulation 2, uh, and so if people that are familiar with the real-time strategy uh, genre, it's a lot of micromanagement. It's take this character, click on him, and have them do something, uh, have them build something, have them attack something. And those are really fun and great. Globulation 2 takes a very different approach. So instead of micromanaging individual actions you basically create little motivations and your your characters uh in your team or group they uh will do things like eat um and they'll decide when they need to do that or when they need to be defensive and and you can you can change some of that you can direct them in certain ways but you can't totally control them and they might and they might start to pay attention to what you're doing and then lose interest Right, exactly. So it, it, it makes the gameplay a lot more um, fluid um, and in some ways more frustrating because you, you as you're playing, you have to think of them as having their own motivation rather than just being an extension of you. Um, we, it's we should, really fun. Hmm? Sorry, I, I just wanted to say, what do these characters look like? Oh, they look like little globs. Uh, uh, I guess uh, little walking globs, so they've got uh, little head and feet, but they're uh, uniform. It's they're really cute and uh, fun. I don't, I, maybe maybe we'll well we'll of course link to the games in the show notes, um, and I definitely recommend looking at the screenshots and playing. Frankly, playing all these games. Okay, yeah. So there are some newer games, but I also decided to go with some of the classics, some of the ones that have um, kept me sane. Uh, in some of the more frustrating days that I've had on my computer. And one of the ones that has done that uh, far and above many others and is a favorite of myself and some of my closest friends is Kobo Deluxe. 
And the, the deluxe is because the original version of Kobo was called X-Kobo. And there is this history of um, early X-11 programs just having X in front of the thing, especially old X-11 games. And X-11 is a windowing system that many free software systems use. Um, so Kobo Deluxe uh, took that. It added a little bit better graphics. It added, um, it added music and sound. And it's just a delight. So this is a space shooter type game. Um, and you can move in eight directions, the eight cardinal directions, and you can fire. Um, and if you just hold down the fire key, you actually fire really fast all at once in the classic mode. Uh, there are some different modes. Uh, the way I like to play it still is even the classic mode. They added some ones that were not in the original x but in the classic mode, you're just shooting a stream nonstop of bullets kind of out of your front and out of your back and you're running towards these structures. And why? who built these structures? Why did they build them? I have no idea. But they are these like space structures made out of these different nodes. And when you shoot them, they break it apart. And you're just kind of, it's kind of a little fight of attrition as you're fighting your way into these kind of, uh, um, you're kind of fighting your way into these little structural complexes. And around it, the structure is trying to defend itself by shooting out all these different other warships and firing bullets. And it's really hard to dodge all of these things and to get close enough to kind of wear down these structures. And I just love this game. I've been playing it ever since I became a free software user, I think. This and Extreme Tux Racer and, and well, the one you're going to talk about next, I think, um, or maybe the one after that, uh, are, were, were some of my earliest free software games and some of my favorites. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend checking this one out if you're in the mood for kind of a, a fast-paced action uh, space fighter. All right. So next on my list is a hugely popular one that I've even seen non-free software people playing, and that's Frozen Bubble. Uh, and Frozen Bubble, which uh, is based on, I, I guess, the Puzzle Bubble game, you said? Uh, Puzzle uh, Bubble, and, and it's also known as Bust-A-Move in some of the versions. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I remember seeing this game in the 90s uh, in uh, arcades. Uh, so so Frozen Bubble is a, a free software version. You basically aim a little bubble at a screen. It's hard to, it's hard to describe. It's, a, it's basically a real-time puzzle game. Um, and those are really popular now on mobile platform. And by the way, Frozen Bubble can be played on Android um, as well as desktop. Uh, it's, it's really fun. The, the art is really beautiful. It's really cute. And the music is super, super addictive. And you'll be listening to it um, in, in your sleep. Oh, my um, God. For sure, if you're playing it. I cannot agree more. Uh, uh, as I was telling you before this, uh, man, that an intro music, uh, maybe we should play it at this point in the audio, or I can just, I can do it live. Watch, watch out, watch Okay, that was terrible. And then it goes frozen bubble, and it's just the best. My friends and I used to literally, even the non-free software friends, when we were teenage, late teenagers, we would drive around in our car just blasting this music, the way that other people would blast I don't know, anything else that a more rational teenager would play. And it's so good. Uh, and I was it is. I, oh, the I was graphics gonna say, it's, are... It's also got a multi, the, the graphics are gorgeous, and it's got multiplayer, too, which um, is not as popular anymore, but I remember going on and playing um, with, other, with other players around the world. 
Yeah, so this is pretty much a straight-up port of the Puzzle Bobble and uh, Bubble Bobble game, but the the penguins are really cute in it. Uh, I do have to say that I was a little bit disappointed when they went from version 1 to version 2. They actually changed the artwork to use what were, in my opinion, not very good-looking Blender renders of the the penguins. Uh, The original hand-drawn ones, I think, look a lot better, and they may have modified the music. I don't remember for sure on that. So, but the the Android version actually keeps the original 2D graphics. So I was happy to see them again. And I guess you can—it's free software. You can still find the version 1.0 thing. Uh, Yeah, and one correction though, it's not based on Bubble Bobble. Bubble is an entirely different. Oh yeah, sorry, Puzzle Bobble, not Bubble Bobble. But uh, Bubble Bobble, Puzzle Bobble used the Bubble Bobble characters, but uh, Bubble Bubble Bobble's like an arcadey, you know, hopping around platforms type game. And platformer. Yeah, it's a platformer, and and Puzzle Bobble is well a puzzle bug game. And Frozen Bubble is maybe the best incarnation of it because it has the best music and it's free software. All right, now to you. Okay. Uh, So I put this one on the list partly because of the name. It's so much fun to say. It is Barbie Seahorse Adventures. Um, And you're going to be like, what? Uh, uh, It has nothing to do with the doll. Um, Barbie Seahorse Adventures is kind of a 2D Mario-style game, kind of a platformer, and actually involves some bubble bobble-like elements. Your character can shoot out little bubbles in front of it. It's not very well known in the free software community. Many people... Yeah, I'd never heard of it, it it's, before you just mentioned it. The name was a pun on Barbie Horse Adventures, which was a, you know, like many of the kind of, you know, churned out cheap games that are made for kids who like some product but don't know better or their parents don't know better that the game is going to suck. Uh, you know, so the... Uh, but Barbie Seahorse Adventures was a Pie Week entry. Pie Week is a... Uh, um, a uh it's a game programming competition i entered it in at once it's like a game jam yeah it's a game jam that lasts a week uh and you program some sort of game in python uh i don't know if it's as active today as it used to be but um barbie seahorse adventure was a um you know was something that came out of it um it's made with pie game and it's just really fun but really short um so you can beat it you know in maybe an hour or two um but it is a blast to play, and also it has the name Barbie Seahorse Adventures, which you get to say over and over. You do get to say uh, it over and over again, and it is fun. Uh, so my next one is uh, a relatively new game, and uh, a lot of people are unaware that this is actually a free software game because you can get it on Steam, um, and it's called Endless Sky. It's a trading game that can that has a lot of different elements. So in traditional trading games, you go around, you go to one area, you buy stuff, and then you go to a different area and you sell it. Um, in Endless Sky, you can absolutely do that and just go exploring uh, and selling products from one area to another. Um, but you can also uh, – and, and by the way, I have played the game completely in that mode and found it super relaxing and fun just to chill out and go and do little simple delivery missions or just do pr- product triage where you buy it cheap from one star system. So, so it's a space trading game. So you go to different star systems and buy products and sell them. And that's totally fun and relaxing, um, but you can also play it. Um, as a, 
you, you can be a good guy and you can fight pirates and you can take their ships or you could be a pirate um, and you can be attacking other ships and holding them for ransom or, or taking them over and selling them. It's, it's got beautiful graphics, really nice gameplay, um, a, a thin but a present storyline. And it's just it's just a really nice game. Okay, so that was the list of games that we said that we were going to do, though we actually have a much larger list. Do we want to stop it here and keep this one a nice short episode, or do we want to nerd out about some more? Why don't we why don't we do one more and then and then I think we'll stop for here. Okay, for should we time. do one that uh should I pick one or should we do one that uh we've both played? Um, why don't we just do one more each? Okay, sounds good. Uh, so I'll pick, you know, I know I already did a bunch of other roguelikes, but since somebody listening to this may have gotten, become intrigued by roguelikes, having heard this episode and be like, gosh, I want to get into that and may feel like, but it's kind of overwhelming. I have to learn a lot of keystrokes. I have to learn, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's really hard. These games are brutally hard and like, and it's a lot to kind of learn and adapt. There's, there's a a game called Pixel Dungeon, which is available for the desktop or for Android devices, and it the graphics are so good. Um, they're retro, but also uh, um, it uses a bunch of OpenGL effects that look really nice and have uh, and uh, it's very easy to play on a phone. You just kind of can just click around with your finger, and uh, the mechanics have been built in such a way that. Um, while many other roguelikes require these kind of very complex interactions, this one is intentionally slimmed down to the degree where it kind of takes a lot of the roguelikes' ideas and uh, abstracts them to the degree that um, it's possible to play them this simply. And what's nice about it is, if you've never played a roguelike, picking up Pixel Dungeon is not hard. Uh, you can just pick it up and just start clicking around and just having fun. There's also a variant called Shattered Pixel Dungeon where they change some things. I haven't played that version, but I think both are available in Asteroid. The I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if they're both still in there, but they were last time I looked. Um, and and it's just really fun. Um, and it has it's not quite as deep as some of the other roguelikes are, but the gameplay. Is still very challenging. Uh, usually, I end up dying within the first uh, about you know five to fifteen minutes. Um, but sometimes I've been able to make it very close to the end of the game, which takes uh, a, a few hours. Uh, and I recommend it. Uh, it's a good way to to get your feet wet in the genre while being a completely solid game in its own right. And you know. Serving as a you know good role model for the free software game community, as in terms of uh, uh, what a game can look like. So I recommend picking it up, and I also recommend uh, throwing a donation to the author because um, I know they do accept donations for their work on that game. All right, so I think we're gonna wrap up with mine, um, and this one's going to take a little bit of explanation. So my last game recommendation is one called Empty Epsilon. Um, and so to understand Empty Epsilon, you have to understand Artemis, which is the proprietary origin of this game. So Artemis is, as far as I know, the first of a genre of game called bridge simulators. 
Um, and the way to think about a bridge simulator is to think about yourself on a science fiction starship uh, such as the, the Enterprise uh, in Star Trek. So if you can imagine that each player has a computer in front of them and every computer in the game... Oh, so you play together. So um, you get a bunch of your friends together in a room and each of you has a computer and each computer represents a station on the bridge. So some will have helm and some will have long range sensors and someone will have communications and someone will have weapons and someone will be in charge of engineering. Uh, and then there's the captain and the captain doesn't uh, have their own computer, they just coordinate between the other players and uh, oversee the, the, the ship as a whole and make sure that everyone is working together. And, and I mean that in, in a literal sense. Um, uh, Long-range sensors will say something about you know, um, uh, what they detect in a faraway area and communications will, won't be able to see that, but the captain will say, uh, communications, do, go tell that ship to do this other thing, or um, weapons, fire at this, or uh, we, ne we need to dock at this particular space station. So th they're acting as the coordinating um, uh, entity, uh, keeping this crew coherent and able to do their missions. So that's Artemis. Um, Empty Epsilon began its life as an Artemis clone, but it has since become quite a bit more than that. Uh, they take a far more – so first of all, they have simplified the the stations in such a way that you don't have to – so in Artemis, you must play a six-person ship. Uh, you need a minimum of six people. But Empty Epsilon uh, has different types of ship configurations where you can have six, but you can also have a single-person ship or a four-person ship, and there are advantages and disadvantages of each. Uh, the, the ships work better with one person because you can fine tune things, but it means that you don't, you know, your fun doesn't end if you have five people. So, so that's, that alone made it a lot more interesting. Um, secondly, it, uh, made some of the stations more skill based. So in, um, in Artemis, uh, certain stations are quite automated, so just click and wait. Whereas in Empty Epsilon, uh, you can optionally make those stations more interactive. So as you get better, the gameplay gets better, um, and you can and you can tune it back to the way Artemis plays, um, or you can keep it in, in, uh, more interesting. So the so I like that too. So you you get more uh, diversity and and more challenge, um, and they take a uh, so, oh, so next thing is that they make the, uh, the, it's just hard to explain, but instead of seeing a map of the entire galaxy, your view of the, of the, of the, the world is centered around your ship. So it makes it feel a lot more scary and a lot more interesting because you don't necessarily see everything that's going on. And, and that, that makes that, that increases the tension, which is, uh, makes the game more fun. And lastly, and I think most importantly, they have changed the AI. Um, and the AI in Artemis is really dumb and you can pretty much easily beat even the, the most difficult ships, um, uh, just through outsmarting them. And that's not the case in Empty Epsilon. In Empty Epsilon, the, 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 the bad guys are a lot more intelligent and they'll try to lure you in. They'll 
They'll maneuver around you. They'll try to escape, and they don't do any of that in Artemis. Um, the game is just great, and I love when I can run it. I don't get to run it as often as I would like, but um, it's definitely fun and worth uh, downloading and worth contributing to, and actually I have contributed to. Um, there, there are some things that I don't love about, about Empty Epsilon, but overall it is an excellent game, and uh, it is, it's also still in development, so highly, highly recommend it. Wow, this this looks really cool. I you had mentioned this to me, but I never actually pulled up and looked at the screenshots. But this looks like this looks visually gorgeous in a in a way that we don't usually see in a lot of kind of free software. Not only just free software games, but heck, even free software UIs in general. Uh, yeah, it's actually more visually it's it's more uh, beautiful than its than its proprietary uh, competitor. Uh, the the look of Empty Epsilon is is better than the look of of Artemis. So the a few small downsides, I will say the music in Empty Epsilon could use some improvement. And if we've got any musicians, um, I would love if you could make better music for Empty Epsilon. It, uh, the music is not the best. Um, they, they were looking for ship models, and I bet they still are. The models are not amazing, um, but those are easily fixed. Changing the ship models and changing the music is super easy, but the core gameplay is is just um, is just extraordinary. Um, there were some bugs in some previous versions, and the, my biggest my biggest gripe is that it the there are no packages that I have found for Empty Epsilon for Linux, um, and that is a it's a pain, even though you can download the source and compile it, um, but. The, the the gameplay when it works it is just amazing. Okay, I actually before before we close out, I actually have some questions because I've never played this and I want okay. to now. Uh, okay. Um, so if we were going to run a game, uh, what would that experience be like? Would my friends and I all show up with our laptops and run it over a local network, or would we use yeah. our phones, or what would so we do? So what you what you would do um, is I don't remember there used I thought there was an APK for for android but i don't see it so i'm gonna i'm gonna think that maybe i just made that up uh so what you would do is you would go to someone's house um and i would suggest someone who has a big screen television so if you can think about the enterprise imagine that someone's big screen tv is the main viewer and you should and my my suggestion is and it's not required but my suggestion is you make the server connected to the main viewer. And then each of you connect to that server across the local network and, and then take, um, well, then you'll decide what kind of ship you want and there are different types of ships and different configurations. Um, and then you'll choose your stations and that's it. And then go off and play. And then there's, there's actually scripted missions. So, um, you know, there's a war breaking out and you need to do this at this particular time or that particular time. But um, I'm not as familiar with those as I am with just playing it straight. Very cool. Yeah, uh, it's awesome. really, really cool. All right. <laughs> wow. We managed to finish under 40 minutes. Uh, that has not happened yet. Uh, and uh, maybe we need to stop right now before before that becomes untrue. All right. Well, before we do, let's just say that uh, you can find us at LibreLounge.org. Uh, you can find us individually on Twitter. 
Uh, I'm uh, em- at Emaxon on Twitter, and you are? I'm at DustyWeb on Twitter, and we're both on the Fediverse also. I'm at I'm uh, I'm Octodon.social. I'm C Weber on Octodon.social, and I'm at Emaxon at at Emaxon.net, and we have a new um, account for our uh, Fediverse. It is Libra Lounge at Floss.social, so uh, you can find us there as well. And uh, we we would love if people have suggestions for uh, other games that they would like us to talk about. Um, or some, or one of the game developers would like to come on and talk with us uh, in depth about their game. We would love that too. So be sure to check us out. And oh, and the IRC for... channel. Oh, right. uh, Pound Libre Lounge us. on irc.freenode.net. Yep, come and join us and hang out with us. Um, we're we're there quite a bit. All right. Okay. Th- thanks a lot, everyone. Have a good one. Yay! Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Libra Lounge is Chris Weber and Sergio Glasky. More about the show at LibraLounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Jock. It's in the public domain under CC0, and you can find it at OpenGameArt.org. The Frozen Bubble theme music is Matthias Liebedan and is available under the GNU General Public License 2.0. Support Chris through his Patreon at patreon.com slash cweber. See you next time.